0: good morning. It's good to see you all. Thank you all for bringing the church into this very new space for us. So it is so good to be able to Gather with you all, um, and as already been made mentioned, I'm just uh, we're so so thankful. I want to thank the folks from Baltimore Chapel as well for uh, extending us the hospitality, inviting us into this, and so just thrilled. Thank you guys for joining us. But as we have said for 12 plus years now, uh, the church is the people of God sent on the mission of God, um, and we are super thankful for a space to be able to gather in. But the church is not the walls; it is not a sound system; uh, it is not uh, pews or folding chairs or, or any of those things. Uh, That we are the church and Jesus has invited us into that. And so uh, if you're somebody that's new, though, to Crosspoint, uh, my name is Jamie. It is my joy and privilege to be one of the pastors here. Um, I'm just so thankful that you've joined us. For those of you that are gathering with us online, thanks for bringing us uh, into your living room, bringing the church around your dining room table, wherever it happens uh, to be. And so this morning, we are going to continue our series um, through the great book of John that we began a few weeks ago. Uh, Before we do that I want to take a moment um, and just invite you all to pray with me, really sort of the, this prayer of, of blessing, of dedication. Um, there's a great resource, this um, uh, thing that, that's called Every Moment Holy, and it's a series of prayers. It's, it's really a, a liturgical response to a variety of things that we experience uh, in life. Um, and so sort of adapted this. There's one that's uh, it's called a liturgy for moving into a new home. And though it might have been written with a home, meaning like just a you know, family and you've got a couple of bedrooms and th- those sort of things, I thought it would be an appropriate thing for us to, to pray together. And so you will see on the, the screen, leader, I will read that, and then people, we will all respond uh, together. Um, and so before we get, like I said, before we get into the, the sermon this morning, um, we wanna thank God, we wanna ask God, and even what we've just been singing, uh, to invite the presence of, of God and just ask that he would use this space not in an end of itself, but to be about the work of making disciples. We get to point one another in our community uh, to Jesus. And so let's pray together that this space might be used for those sorts of things. Those are the things uh, that ultimately matter. And so a liturgy for moving into a new home. Let us pray together. We thank you for this new home, O Lord, for the moments of life that will be shared within it. We thank you for this, our new home, and we welcome you here. Dwell with us in this place, O Lord. Dwell among us in these spaces, in these rooms. Be present at the table as we eat together. Be present in our worship here. May your spirit inhabit this building, making of it a sanctuary where hearts and lives are knit together. May this, our home, be a harbor of anchorage and refuge and a haven from which we journey forth to do your work Your world. May it be a garden of nourishment in which our roots go deep, that we might bear fruit for the nourishing of others. May this our new home be a place of knowing and of being known, a place of shared tears and laughter, a place where forgiveness is easily asked and granted, and wounds are quickly healed a place of meaningful conversation, of words not left unsaid, a place of joining, of becoming, of creating and reflecting, a place where our diverse gifts are named and appreciated, where we learn to serve one another and to serve our neighbors as well, a place where our stories are forever twined by true affections. Grant also, O Lord, that our time spent gratefully within these temporary walls, enjoying these momentary fellowships, would serve to awaken within us a restless longing for our truer home, incline our hearts ever toward the glories of that better city built by you, O God, a city whose blessings are never-ending and whose fellowships are eternally unbroken. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me in that prayer Uh, We are diving into the book of John, and we are in this series called uh, Come and See, all right? And uh, it's this refrain that we hear throughout the book. We're going to see it in this text this morning, uh, where there's this invitation by Jesus to others, like, hey, just come and see, come and experience him, and then, in turn, people get a hold of that vision and they start inviting their friends. Well, you got to come and see, you got to meet Jesus. And so really what we have today is we've taken the last few weeks to journey through the first, like the first 34 verses of chapter one and spending kind of a devoted time there a little bit longer than we normally will in each chapter, because what's happening in chapter one is so important for the rest of the book. Like it's literally setting this whole trajectory. And then today, all right, we've been introduced to Jesus, but we're going to hear his words for the very first time as recorded in the book of John. And so if you brought a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1, 35 to 51, or you got your phone. You can go, uh, again, go to cplife.church, all right? And if you're like, oh, I typed in cpwp.life, it'll still get you there, all right? So one of these adjustments that we're making. But cplife.church, swipe over till you see a card that says message notes, And you can follow along. Things that are up on the screen this morning will be there. There's space for you to be able to take notes. So let me go ahead and read this and we'll work our way through this text. So, hear the word of the Lord. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, "'You are Simon, son of John, "'but you will be called Cephas,' "'which is translated Peter.'" Verse 43, "'The next day Jesus decided to leave Galilee, "'and he found Philip, and he told Philip, "'Follow me.'" "'Now Philip was from Bethsaida, "'the hometown of Andrew and Peter, "'and Philip found Nathanael and told him, "'We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, "'and so did the prophets, "'Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. "'Can anything good come out of Nazareth?' "'Nathanael asked him. "'Come and see.'" Philip answered, "'Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him "'and said about him, "'Ah, here truly is an Israelite "'in whom there is no deceit. "'How do you know me?' Nathanael asked. "'Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, "'I saw you,' Jesus answered. "'Rabbi,' Nathanael replied, "'You are the Son of God. "'You are the King of Israel.' "'And Jesus responded to him, "'Do you believe because I told you "'I saw you under the fig tree? "'You will see greater things than this.' And then he said, "'Truly I tell you, "'you will see heaven opened and the angels of God "'ascending and descending on the Son of Man.'" This is God's word for us this morning. And so what I wanna do as we look at this particular text is right away, there's this, there's this seeking that's taking place. Like there's a search that is happening, that there's something in the, the human heart that is longing for things to be put right. We're constantly going after things thinking, I wonder if this will satisfy. I wonder if this will bring the rest and satisfaction that I, that I desire. And ultimately, if we take any good thing that the Lord gives us and we make it ultimate, we actually won't get what our heart is searching for. So that's true at an individual level. That's true at kind of a communal level, right? If there was any level of us that was just like, oh, we'll truly be satisfied or we'll be a real church if we happen to be in a more temporary space where we don't have to pack everything up and put it in a trailer, like we've actually missed the calling. And so look with me at verses 35 to 39. There's this seeking that's taking place. And so the context is when it references John, it's not John the author, but rather John the Baptist who has these disciples. He's standing with two of them and then he sees Jesus passing by, and he says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, before we get into the folks, like the, the, the disciples, like their response, I just want to comment on this for just a moment. We know, if you were if you're here last week, if you've read through John chapter 1, that it was last week that we looked, and John sees Jesus come on the scene. He says, behold, or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's his like very short sermon, all right? Many of you wish maybe like that I could distill it down like that, I don't have that ability, but John did, all right? And not only that, John also, I think he had one sermon in his back pocket, he literally had one thing because here on the very next day he sees Jesus again and what does he do? He goes hyper repetitive and he's just like, look, the Lamb of God, all right? So maybe it's a study in sort of repetitive sermons. I really believe John, John the Baptist is just like, the best thing that I could do is point you to Jesus. Look, behold, be in awe, make much of Jesus. That is our hope in prayer. Like none of those things change, even if a location changes. The calling for us as the church is that we would be more enamored, more worshipful of Jesus, that Jesus would get a hold of our hearts in such a way that we're like, man, I don't know what happened, but like I encountered the risen Lord. Like I beheld his glory, The prayer we've had for 12 plus years continues that we want to be people that make much of Jesus, that point our community to Jesus. We believe that that's where life is actually found. And so John, he's just got one sermon and he's like, behold the Lamb of God. Even the week before, is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now he's just like, I'm gonna go shorthand. Behold the Lamb of God, you'll fill in the rest. Like, he just wants people to know because ultimately what we're seeking, that's the answer, and so With this, Jesus then, he looks at these disciples, all right, they're disciples of John, and it says they hear John say, look, the Lamb of God, and then they begin to follow Jesus, all right? Now, I don't know if this is just amazing obedience or if this is like creepy stalker-esque sort of behavior, but it tells us when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, all right, he's like, hey, wait, what's going on? But like, I don't know how to picture that exactly, but they're following him. Jesus turns and says, what are you looking for? There are two fundamental questions that we've seen, one last week, one this week. Last week is, who are you? Identity. And this is just kind of the other side of the coin. Like, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? What is that thing that you think if you get that, ah, there'll be life and rest and satisfaction? Like, Jesus, out of love, says to those that have just left everything, are following him, and what's interesting is he doesn't turn around and like, hey, way to go, you got the answer right. Like the Sunday school, and they said, the answer is Jesus, you're following me, woohoo! You know, like you get the sticker. Like he doesn't do that, he asks them a question because he wants them to consider, hey, do you know what you're getting in on? Because there's something beautiful that's happening, but there's also this cost because Jesus is gonna give his life and he's gonna call us to take up our cross and to follow after him. But he starts with, hey, I just want you to know, I want you to ponder, what are you searching for? Every time I hear that, that question, uh, this will show you kind of you know when I grew up, but what comes to mind is the, the band U2 and the old song off the Joshua Tree album, right? Some of you know this, some of you are like, U2, I think I've heard of them before. But regardless, um, here are some of the lyrics. I will not sing them again, that would be bad. The acoustics are better in here. That does not improve my voice though, okay? So um, I've climbed highest mountains. I've run through the fields. Only to be with you, only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls, these city walls, only to be with you. And there's the refrain, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That, that language, that not there, don't you hear, it? like there's exhaustion, there's fatigue in that. Like I scaled this, I climbed this, I was just, I was just going. And so Jesus is asking this very poignant question, he's like, what are you looking for? Because if you look outside of me, you're not going to find it. And yet at the same time, he's also saying, I I do want you to count the cost. Like maybe in a moment of enthusiasm, like "Woohoo! we're following Jesus. C.S. Lewis speaks of it this way. He says, there comes a moment when the children, so kind of picture this scene, all right? They're kind of playing these kind of make-believe games. When the children have been playing at burglars, hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion, sort of man's search for God, suddenly draw back, supposing we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. We're still supposing he has found us. So it is sort of a Rubicon. One goes across or not. But if one does, one may be in for anything. If Jesus really is the rabbi, really the Messiah, really the teacher, and I'm really his disciple, then there is literally not one thing that he can't ask of me. Jamie, I need you to go and do this. I don't get to sit back and be like, "Eh, I'll take, you know, where was the multiple choice? Like, give me some other options, right? So Jesus, when he says, what are you looking for? It's a question of, again, of identity. It's a question of counting the cost. But in that, Jesus is wanting them to know, I am the answer. And following me is the best possible way to live. Now, it continues, all right? So you've got these guys, and they're kind of following him, and Jesus looks back, and then they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, again, maybe they know what they're saying. I don't know. I have those moments if I'm ever around somebody maybe that I'm intimidated by or something. You just kind of blurt out something. Like the God of the universe just turned around and like, what are you seeking? And they're like, "Uh, where's your house? Where are you staying? Can I come over and play? Right? Like that's kind of how it reads, at least to me. And John, the writer of this, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is taking that kind of, maybe just sort of inane remark, the question that they're asking, but he's doing something with it. In fact, he's using a word that's meant to take us back, because in John chapter 1, we've seen this now through these first few weeks, it's loaded with Old Testament references, particularly the book of Genesis and Exodus about God's creation, his liberation of his people, all of these things, all right? What he's trying to communicate to us is this yes, what are you searching for? So sort of they're the the searchers, they're the seekers. But now the seekers are actually being sought. Like we may be thinking, oh, I'm searching for God and I'm trying to figure it out. The reality is if you're here and you're a Christian, it means God sought you, found you, pursued you, made you alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sin and he has made you alive. You didn't do anything. Neither did I. Like, We think we're searching and in reality, God is coming after us. And so the seekers are actually being sought. And what's happening here in this moment is the word, like when they say, where are you staying? John will use this word again and it shows up in John 15. Do you know the story in John 15? It's where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And then he uses this word that we don't tend to use a lot, abide. So when they say, where are you staying? Like where's your home? That's that's the word that's used there. Where are you abiding? And they're speaking, I believe, about more than they're actually aware. They're they're tapping into what their heart longs for. Like we all want to get home. We were created for the presence of God. We sang that in a couple of songs that we opened the service with, right? We are made for that, and yet there's been this disruption. Because I said, I want my will to be done. Adam and Eve said, they want their will to be done. And yet, God, in his grace, continues to pursue. And so what's happening here then is that question of where are you and where are you staying, it's bringing up these sort of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 themes, but also Genesis 3, because God comes looking for his people. And in a similar vein to Jesus asking, what are you seeking? The God of the universe finds Adam and Eve and says, where are you? It's like he's just asking them. It's it's the same way of asking, like, what are you pursuing? Like, what's going on? And so do you remember in Genesis 3? It's the same tired old story that we think is new. We think, oh, you know, we're going to accomplish. We're going we're to get all these things. And when we make an, a good thing, an ultimate thing, everything unravels. They reach for the fruit. They said they wanted to be God. And they realize... They're shamed, they realize they're naked, they realize now they're they're broken, they're separated from God. Now, Genesis three, look at this, eight to nine, says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. What would have been a pleasant sound? What would have been like, oh my goodness, God, we get to go hang out with him, right, to be in his presence. This now is a terror sound. This is like being awakened in the middle of the night to hear something like glass shattering and wondering like somebody broke in your home. Like this is no longer a good feeling for them. All right, God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. It should have been pleasant, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" It's that question again. Like, what are you seeking? What were you? What were you hoping for? Where, where have things gone? And yet, here's what we have to see. Both in Genesis, here in John, throughout the entire scripture, do you notice God's disposition? I mean, he legit could have just been like, I'm done with you, I'm wiping you out, like you guys deserve it. And they would have. And so I would have deserved that. I do deserve that. But God comes to them. He moves toward them. The disposition of our God is always moving. What do we see? What have we been taught in John chapter one? The word became flesh and dwelt among us that God is on the move and he comes toward his people. His mission is to move toward his people. This past Friday, um, I was driving with uh, my older daughter. Uh, We were in my wife's car, it was just... uh, Myself and my daughter, Sydney, and we were traveling eastbound on the 408, all right? And we were getting ready to get off at the exit for Cimarron, 436. Um, you, maybe you can picture that if you, if you ever drive that and I'm starting to kind of navigate over so I can get off the exit and then we hear this incredibly loud jarring noise like it literally sounds like we've been shot right um and so I squeal like a little girl right and uh we have this, this moment in the car and then the the dashboard begins lighting up telling me like you know all my tire pressure is like going nuts like it's all depleted um and so I make my way off you know get off the exit pull off to the the side of the road all right and Do my due diligence of like, all right, well, now we gotta, you know, I guess we gotta gotta figure this out. The tire had actually, the car had stopped in a spot where I could actually see it. But rather than just, I was expecting maybe there was a nail or something. About this big, there's literally like this hole blown like in the middle of the tire. I'm like, okay, well, time to get the spare out. Then I learned something, all right? We've only had this car for like a year or so. They don't put a spare tire in lots of cars anymore. Did you know that? I had no idea. So I'm losing my mind on the side of the 408, just like, okay, I know I'm not good at this stuff. I'm not gifted in these areas, but surely I can at least find the spare. I may not have to know how to put it on, right? And I can't. So then I do the next, you know, what the logical thing would be. I get my phone out and I Google it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, there's no spare tire here, right? So I'm like, okay, well, at least that was confirmed. So they call AAA. Two hours later, they show up. It's the whole thing. I get... The, the car then gets towed to the tire shop, um, and they're like, okay, yeah, we got the tire. It should be done in like an hour. I'm like, okay, cool. Because um, uh, there wasn't anything else going on this week, right? Um, anyway, and so, um, and uh, the guy, or the, the lady that helped me, I, I get a, a call. I missed this call. I listen to the voicemail, but now it's this guy, and he says, I'm the manager, um, and I need you to call me. And I was like, uh-oh, and Heather's like, uh-oh, and we're like, that, that, that can't be good. And he, he calls, he's like, hey, sir, so we've got the tire, um, but when I got the tire, uh, when I got the old one off, yeah, there was the hole there, but whatever hit your tire not only went through the tire, it went through the rim, and then it went through the rim into, like, the wheel well and, like, kind of all that hard plastic, kind of obliterated that. So, like, I don't know how well you can see this. Uh, but that's the whole, so whatever was there in the road. So when I said I was shot, I literally, that's the story I'm telling people. We were shot on the 408, right? It's its way more dramatic. Um, and I kid you not, like I didn't, I was kind of playing that up. I hear my daughter on the phone last telling a friend, like, yeah, I was with my dad. We were literally shot on the 408, right? Like, um, I'm like, well, that's not exactly true, but it's a better story, okay. And so the guy tells me, all right, so, Here's the deal. He's like, I've called the dealership. Um, I've called the manufacturer at uh, GM. They don't make this rim anymore. Um, so you might, maybe you'll get four new rims. Merry Christmas, right? Um, and I don't know what to do. So then I'm, I'm, I'm calling around. I'm talking to a dealership. I'm in Tallahassee. I'm talking to somebody in Minnesota. I'm on eBay. Now, I tell you all of that, right? Because the moment there's this problem to be fixed, like it's kind of like tunnel vision. Everything is off the, the table. I'm just like, I'm immersive 100% in, I've got to fix this. Like, I've got to find this. And so I'm calling rim repair shops and machinists and trying to find, will anybody be able to take care of this? And also, why do they not put a donut, spare tire in there? But anyway, all right? Now, that is a silly little, little story and tells you a little bit about what my Friday was like, but that sort of, like, I'm on this mission, like, just this... Focused attention, like, I have got to fix this. There's this thing here that I'm like, doesn't almost matter, like, what else is going on. Like, I'm all in on this. John is telling us a story over and over again. He just wants you to hear and to see. The God of the universe is on this mission. He is driven to pursue you out of love for you and me, that he would send his son, that he would literally, Jesus would leave the heavenly realm and he's just like, I'm all, like I can't get any more immersive. I've literally taken on flesh and blood. I am going to be bent on going to the cross, like his face set, as flint, like that's what he's doing. And so this is the story that is being told throughout. Right? So, whatever level I think that I'm like focused on something, the God of the universe is like, no, no, no. I'm so focused on getting my glory by rescuing you all who rebelled against me. This is the story that we're caught up in. And as I said, the disciples ask, like, where are you staying? It's this way of God communicating to us, like, it's a theme of abiding. Like, are you finding your rest in Him? He's on this pursuit. To bring you back into the presence of God, and it's there that we're invited to abide. And what does Jesus say to them when Jesus, when they say, "Where are you staying?" He's like, "Come, and you'll see." He invites them over. I would love to know, like, what would they do the rest of the day? And for those of you that may, you know, sometimes I think there's legitimate questions about, you know, the authenticity of the Bible. Um, if you were writing fiction, you don't put little details in, like it was four in the afternoon. Like, who cares? Unless it was actually four in the afternoon, and that's like how it actually went down, which I believe is what happened. And so that's where we start. There's this seeking that's taking place. Now, one of the things I love about the Gospel of John, it's throughout the Scriptures, but it's highlighted in the book of John. Here's what we need to see. If you and I have been rescued by Jesus, if he has given us an answer to like, what are we seeking? Like, we found it in Jesus. Now, we don't always perfectly live that out, right? But we have found life Do you notice, as I read through the whole text a moment ago, this theme, like, how do people respond to that, all right? It's what we've entitled this entire series, like, come and see. It's this invitation. And so look with me verses 40 to 45. It goes from the seeking then to this response. Like, there's this sharing that takes place. Like, we've got to share this good news. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he was one of the two who heard John and followed him. So we learn now who one of those folks were. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, Simon, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. One of the things that we talked about at our vision night when we gathered here, some of you were were part of that or watched online, was this this word that the scriptures use that was part of the, the culture, part of the vernacular back then? And it's this word oikos, all right? You might think of it as Greek yogurt, but it had more to do than just that. It was this idea of a home, and we were talking about as God provided this space as a home, but not just for ourselves. The idea of oikos gets at like your family, your household, but even beyond that, like your entire relational network. And so what we see throughout the scriptures and what's highlighted here is when somebody meets Jesus, what do they immediately do? They begin talking to those in their family circle, in their oikos, so that would have been people in their home, in their workplace, in their their neighborhood. Maybe a way to think about this is, as we think about like evangelism, I just love that Jesus is very natural, and so are the other folks here. Like, hey, just come and see. It's no, it's no weird, like awkward, like, I memorized this, and now somebody asked a different question that you didn't memorize an answer for, and now you're like, uh, I don't know. Um, it's simply, hey, just come and see. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, but Jesus does, and I'd like you to meet him. Maybe a way to think about this idea of oikos and evangelism is if you've been found by Jesus, right, Found people. I was lost, but now I'm found. Found people work to find people, not because we save them, but because we're like, "Jesus has saved me. I want him to save you. I want him to redeem your life the way that He's redeeming mine." And so a church as a call, as we even talked about this as this new home for us, the call is that it could be a hub, a center for ministry to go out. Like the point is not just gathering together. The point is making disciples. The point is sharing the good news of the gospel. And so we come together and we celebrate that reality, but we do this for this hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday or so, so that we can be sent out. You've got an oikos. You are a found person that is being invited to help find other people. And that's what we're praying God would continue to do. And what Jesus does then is people get brought to him, all right, and ultimately it's his work in seeking. We see here with Peter, all right? So Andrew Goes, what does he do? He goes to his oikos. He goes to his literal, his brother, brings him, and Jesus sees him, all right, and it says, you're Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas. Jesus is giving Simon here a new identity, an identity that can't be taken away. Like, there are things about who we are that can change. Your job can change, right? Relationships can, can change, stages of life, like a lot, a lot of things that can change, And sadly, we can tend to build our identity on those things and then wonder why we're in such a bad spot when something shifts. But what God does is he gives us a whole new identity. And he says, you belong to me. You're my son, my daughter, a child. But it's God that does the work. And because God does the work, it's not this fleeting thing. And so he goes to Simon and he says, your name will be Peter, which can be translated the rock, maybe the wrestler. The TV, right, But like, uh, right? he just says, "Like you are, this is who you are. Now, now do you know the story of Peter? Like He's going to deny Jesus. He messes up time and time and time again. He doesn't seem to be a person that's the rock. But God has declared this to be so. He's given a new name. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you a new name. I love that for Peter. It's less about, oh, the possibility or the potential, and it really is this promise. This is who you are. This is your new identity. In commenting on this, there's a theologian by the name of D.A. Carson In his commentary in the the book of John says this, and I'll maybe read it a couple times so we get our minds around this, kind of wrap our minds around this. I think this is so helpful. Here's the quote. He says, Jesus, who knows people thoroughly and not only sees into them, now here's the key, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. It's not that Peter had to make himself the rock or Simon had to do that. It's God doing, it's Jesus doing. I'll read it again. He so calls them. So he's saying, you are Peter, you're the rock. He's saying to us, like, you're you're my son, my daughter. He so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. He's doing the work. That's this whole story. Like, what do we celebrate? Why is John, emphatically John the Baptist, going like, behold the Lamb of God. Because only the Lamb of God, only Jesus can give us a new identity. John the Baptist, as amazing as he was and all the way he lived faithfully and all that, he couldn't take away the sins of the world. Only the God-man Jesus could do that. And this person, this Jesus, will make us into what he's declared us to be. So did you perfectly feel like a child of the king this week? Did you perfectly feel like the saint that God tells you that you are? Standing on the side of the 408 with a broken tire, I certainly did not. And yet, regardless of what happened this past week, regardless of your worst moments and your best moments, nothing shifted about your identity if you're in Christ. Literally nothing. God didn't have a moment where He's like, oh, I'm so, I'm so disappointed in you. You should be better by now. It's like what He's saying to Peter, like, you're the rock. Peter didn't stop being the rock when he denied Jesus. Peter didn't stop being, like, like, here's the thing. He just, it's his new identity. And that's what's been given to us. And as this continues, we could spend more time on this. But we'll see this theme throughout of found people, finding people. Verse 43 the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And it tells us he found Philip. So here's Jesus on the move. He's finding more people. And he told him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. so There's that oikos, right? Like you can see kind of this network here, this family, this extended relationships. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. So very simply, we'll sum it up. Jesus finds Philip. Philip is like, cool. Philip goes and finds Nathanael. It's still Jesus finding Nathanael, right? It's not like Philip is like, I'll either be like Jesus or Philip. It's Jesus through and through, but Jesus works through his people. Or his hands and feet, his body. And so we're invited into that. Now, let's close with this last section because all of this, listen, we're talking about like what are we seeking? We're looking for an identity, we're looking for purpose, we're looking for this tell us, like what's our what's our call in in life? And it's to be in relationship with Jesus, to understand our identity, to enjoy the presence of God. And as we do that, we would invite other people into it. But it's only possible. To the extent that I believe we understand what is happening here in verses 46 to 51. Because we get some insight into Nathaniel. And there's different readings on this. Some will probably read it and they're like, oh, Jesus is like complimenting him. And Nathaniel's like, yeah, you know, I kind of deserve that compliment. Um, And maybe he's this like person to be revered. I actually don't think that's what's going on. I'm not trying to like bag on Nathaniel. All right. I'm just saying, I think John, really what Jesus is doing here is trying to showcase something for us that the only way we're ever gonna find life is if we're confronted with the realities of what are spoken of in these last few verses. I would think of this in this way, as we've talked about finding life and purpose and all of that, or we think about the U2 song, this climbing, this going after, this striving. And Jesus is saying, I'm wanting to help you move from a place of striving to abiding in me, to find your hope to find the presence. So I would put before you. We see the way that striving comes to an end if we understand these last few verses. And I think it's when we understand that that we'll even have a greater confidence of like, oh, I'm gonna come and see, like invite more people into it because we begin to experience the freedom that God is bringing to us. And so here's here's why I think God is using this interaction here with Nathaniel to tell this kind of bigger, bigger story. Did you notice verse 46? Nathaniel says this. Um, uh, he says, uh, let, me, let me jump back, sorry. Um, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. So right away, Nathaniel seems to have some part of his identity that's caught up in like his zip code right? Like, I'm from this particular town or this particular neighborhood. Maybe he went to these particular schools or he works this particular job. But isn't, I think it's fair to say, right? Like, there's something in him that he's like, Jesus is from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth, all right? And then, yeah, Nazareth wasn't this booming metropolis. Nobody was like, oh, man, I am gonna va- can't wait to vacation to Nazareth, right? Like, it wasn't the place to be. There wasn't a whole scene in Nazareth, all right? But The fact that that's pointed out by Nathaniel, I think, speaks to this, like, he's got some level of ego, of identity, something caught up in, like, where he's at. He's like, can anything good come from Nazareth, all right? Um, And then Philip says, we'll come and see. And verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, he says these words, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, I want to put before you, do you think Jesus is legit complimenting him there? I mean, I think Nathaniel thinks so, all right, because Nathaniel says, "Well, how do you know me, all right?" Um, as if like, "Wow, here's this person, no deceit, um, kind of completely honest, always telling the truth, like a lot of integrity," and 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 uh, and is like, "Well, yeah, Jesus, how do, how do you know me?" Like he's okay with that being kind of his resume, but I don't think that that's what's really going on. I think this text is trying to highlight for us something when he says, "Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit." Do you know where the term Israelite, like think back, like where that came from, like that name for God's people. Well, there's a man named Jacob, right, who is renamed Israel, where we get Israelite. Well, what do we know about Jacob? Because in verses 50 to 51, Jesus is making a reference back to a significant time in the life of Jacob. It's when Jacob has a vision after he's on the run and sees this staircase or this ladder, All right, that's what Jesus is going to refer to. So I think this whole thing is meant to take us back to Genesis, particularly Genesis chapter 28. Jacob has been a deceiver. He tricked his brother, he tricked his dad. He's literally on the run for his life by the time we find him in Genesis chapter 28. Like he is a deceiver, that's at his core, all right? He's one that was grasping at the heel of his brother in the birth process. Like he's literally like, no. I want to strive, I want to be number one, I've got to be known, Like I've got to take matters into my own hands. There's nothing like commendable about his behavior. And so he leaves, he's fleeing for his life, he's in such a bad spot, he goes to sleep one night, and he literally has to use a rock as his pillow. All right? So this is camping gone terribly wrong. Right. And so he's there in the spot, and he falls into a deep sleep, and he gets this vision, and it says God stands over him. Literally the language is God moved toward him and is right next to him. And he sees this particular vision. It's literally the heavens being opened up and it's like the worlds of heaven and earth are coming together. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 were. That's what awaits us. That's what the book of Revelation speaks to at the end. But we live in this time right now where we're like, ah, this doesn't quite feel like home because we're made for this other reality. But Jacob, who becomes Israel, he gets this view into it. And it's this then, to a deceiver, to someone that's striving, and I think Nathaniel fits that based on the kind of anecdotal evidence here of somebody that's like, well, I'm not from Nazareth and, and all these sorts of things, that God is saying, if you end up acting like Jacob or Nathaniel or anyone thinking it's up to you to achieve, you're not going to get the life that you're created for. You're not going to get the home that you're created for. And so Jesus says this, you'll see greater things because he tells them you're under the fig tree and Nathaniel loses his mind. It's like, oh, I'll worship you, you're Lord. It's like, okay, Jesus like, calm down. Like, it's gonna get even better than that. And he says, what you will see is heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He gives us these words. Let's close with this. This is the key to understanding how all of this seeking and sharing the good news like can be, be understood. Every world religion would have this sort of image. This would have been like in the ancient Near East at that time, like a temple, you see the staircase, right? It's this sort of picture that probably would have been in, in, my, in the minds of the people back then. And in every religion outside of Christianity, it was a, how am I going to get up the stairs? How am I going to climb the ladder, right? We use that language still today. How am I going to get to what I ultimately wanna achieve? How am I going to get into the presence of God? I've gotta do, I've gotta climb, I've gotta earn. And so you would expect, based on that, every world religion, if Jesus comes on the scene and it's like, okay, if he's in that stream, that he would say, you'll, you know, heaven will open and the angels of God ascending and descending to the Son of Man. You would expect that. That's what people would have expected. How am I gonna get to? But do you notice the language? I'll put it back up on the screen. You will see them ascending on the Son of Man. The difference between to and on is monumental. I live with a two mindset. What am I going to do to get to Jesus? And the message of the gospel is what has Jesus done all right, for me to bring me into his family and the descending on the son of man, meaning he's the one that bridges this. He brings heaven and earth together. You know how this actually takes place is because he was put on a Roman cross and he died in your place and in my place and he was separated from God, his father. And as we've heard in the welcome this, this morning even, like Jesus declaring, it is finished. That's what is being communicated. And to the strivers of the world, to the Nathaniels, to all of us who think we've got to do and we've got to get to this, we realize, no, no, God came down to us. And Jesus is saying, descending on the Son of Man. Paul would pick up on this theme in Colossians chapter one. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Fullness, dwell in him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself everything, whether things on earth or heaven. You know who brings that back together? You know who creates the home that we're made for? You know who creates the, the space where we can invite others in? It's all Jesus. It's John's one point repetitive sermon look to Jesus. What are we gonna do when we gather here? We're gonna look to Jesus. What are we gonna do when we gather in community groups and men's and women's studies and youth group and CP kids opening? What are we gonna do? We're gonna look to Jesus. When people have questions about things and we're trying to solve all the particulars of life and all the things that are weighing heavy on us, it's not to just in a pat way, just say Jesus in the walkway, but like to really kind of get at it so we would have this understanding of the gospel that it shapes everything. It transforms our thinking that we no longer view our finances or relationships or work or school or anything, but through the lens of Jesus that I don't have to get to. I don't have to strive to earn. Jesus has done it. Me trying to get to God is nonsensical. It leads to death, devastation, and despair. It is not the way of life. So Jesus comes, and he makes a way, and that's what we get to celebrate. And so, church, may we keep this before us, right? Um, maybe maybe some of you have seen this. I have yet to see in a church, all right? I don't see, I and mean, we've got it back, back there. Um, we, we don't typically see hanging in the place of the cross a ladder or stairs, right? We don't tend to wear around our neck, all right, um, a ladder or staircase, what do people wear? They wear a cross, like our symbol is a cross, it is not a ladder. And everything you and I are being discipled by 24 seven, broadly out in the world, is no, 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 it's a ladder. And so much of what religion really is, is ladder, stairway mindset. How are you gonna get to God? And the cross tells us God came to us, that he made a way that he died in our place, that he was put on a cross. That's the good news that we get to celebrate. So how will we respond? Let's take a moment as we get ready to partake in communion together. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in a time of repentance that maybe for the first time we would receive the grace of God if you don't know him. If you are a Christian here this morning, like this call like God, I need more of your grace and that we would rejoice together. So I'm gonna pray. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to do this. If you're here in person to come up when you're ready and and grab one of the communion elements and just bring it back to your your seat and we'll partake together. The worship team's gonna lead us in a song. If you wanna stay seated and kind of quiet, reflective, do that. If you wanna stand, sing loudly, do that. If you wanna get on your, your knees and pray, do that. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but here's this chance for us to respond and then I'll call us back together for communion. Those of you that are gathered with us at home, participating, you can get elements together uh, there and, uh, and partake when we come back together in just a moment. But let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have made a way that is not for us to try and get to you, but that you have come to us. And Jesus, we thank you that all of our brokenness, our sin, our shame, that it was put on you So what could be put on us was your righteousness, a new identity. And so, God, I pray that we would rest in that, that we would revel in that, we would rejoice in that. God, I thank you for your provision. Certainly of the space where we can gather to worship you. But God, more than that, I thank you for this space, the, the place, what you're doing in this world to bring Your will as it's done in heaven to be done here on earth that one day you're gonna restore and renew everything and we'll truly be home. Until that day, God, keep us repentant of the striving and trying to do it on our own. Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction where it's needed and then apply gospel comfort to us. Remind us of who we are in Christ. So God, I pray you would do this for your glory and for our great joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.